Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to the Hardwood Handicappers Podcast. They're a bunch of guys who ain't never played the game, and they never got the girls in high school, and they just want to get in the game. <laughs> With your host, Jonathan Von Tobel. See, the thing is, you guys look at me, you see the backwards hat, the uh, gray socks, the funky outfit, and you say, now this guy's a chump, am I right? I'm f***ing geek. Only on the VSIN Podcast Network. Welcome into another edition of the Hardwood Handicappers Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Von Tobel. Good episode on tap this week. Aaron Rinning, professional handicapper, is going to be with us. We are going to discuss uh, almost everything we can in the NBA. There's a lot to go over in terms of betting storylines and angles from future perspectives as well from ER. So he's going to be with us coming up in just a couple of minutes. But we're going to start our episode out as we usually do with a little bit of hardwood headlines. Before we get into that, a reminder, please, if you're listening to my voice, like, rate, review, and subscribe the Hardwood Handicappers podcast. Love feedback. Love it any way we can get it. Whatever you don't like, whatever you do like, throw it in the reviews. And then once you're done, unsubscribe and then resubscribe and then rate and review one more time. Always appreciate it. So two big stories coming out of the NBA for this week in terms of some headlines. My guys, the Los Angeles Clippers, for those who don't know, I'm a Los Angeles Clippers fan at heart. I try not to let my bias show for the most part though, but the Clippers do have some bad news coming at them this week. Patrick Beverly out while recovering from hand surgery is reported by ESPN. Beverly suffered the injury after uh, going after a rebound against Phoenix on Thursday night. Big win for the Clippers in that game. Just his second game back from a knee injury caused him to miss 12 games, if you remember. And now, yet again, 
injuries are starting to pile up for Los Angeles, and this is what kind of sucks for this team, right? Last year, you know, we can talk about the postseason and pandemic P and all of those things, but as we go back to last year, we remember last year, they were not a complete team. They were barely playing together. Kawhi in and out of the lineup. Paul George missing the beginning part of the season and in and out of the lineup with their shoulder issues, right? Patrick Beverly, all of these guys beat up to a certain extent, so we didn't really get to see them. And remember when we saw them together, finally, there was like an 11-game stretch where they went 10-1, and were outscoring their opponents by about 15 points. They were incredible. And what kind of made us believe, I say like the collective, like us, I don't know about you specifically who's listening to this, but for the most part, I think that's why a lot of us believed in Los Angeles because the stints that we saw them together last year, they looked absolutely incredible. And this year, as they start to pick up form in the second half, they get hit with another injury. So this is going to suck. And keep in mind, too, what sucks for them as well, he's not even getting reevaluated until three or four weeks from now. So I know there's some of the headlines that say three to four weeks. That's just when he gets reevaluated. We don't even know when he's going to return. So his return pushes right up against the start of the NBA postseason. And look, they went to go get Rajon Rondo. They have Reggie Jackson. There are things about the backcourt, you know, that can kind of make up for the injury and the absence of Patrick Beverly. But Patrick Beverly's a pretty important part of what the Los Angeles Clippers do. You know, if you go back to that series against the Dallas Mavericks last year, for example, we can talk and quibble about Patrick Beverly exactly as a defender, but a lot of what the Clippers want to do from a defensive standpoint, especially last year, you know, goes through Patrick Beverly. And I bring that up because if you remember last year in the postseason against the Dallas Mavericks, the Clippers struggled at the point of attack with Luka Doncic. Reggie Jackson could not handle Luka Doncic at all for the most part defensively. And, you know, Patrick Beverly, they both give up some size, but Patrick Beverly from a defensive standpoint at least is going to give up some size, but he's going to be a complete irritant about it. You know, he's not going to give Doncic space to work. He's going to force him to use those step backs more, and I know the step backs are lethal, but he was a better option for them last year. You saw how much they missed him last year in that first series against the Dallas Mavericks. Now, again, the addition of Rondo kind of helps offset that a little bit because the Clippers last year weren't very deep at point guard, and this year they're not really, but at least they got three somewhat legitimate pros and some veterans, right? And Jackson, Rondo, and Beverly. But I think this sucks. And look, Beverly on the floor this year, from a defensive standpoint, on the floor defensive rating for the Los Angeles Clippers, according to Cleaning the Glass, 107.5, plus 11.3 in terms of the net rating. Really solid. You take Beverly off the floor, from a defensive standpoint, 107.5 to 114.2. Now, their offense gets better. And it's fair to say that from an offensive standpoint, Patrick Beverly, you know, they kind of run. It's not as bad as five on four, right? But Patrick Beverly's not going to exactly create his own shot, <laughs> as we know. But those numbers signify it again from a 107 to 114 defensive rating, how important he is on the defensive end of the floor and how important he is for a team that is starting to peak and is starting to find its way defensively. Since the All-Star break, Clippers 12-4 and straight up and against the spread. They lead the league in offensive efficiency and three-point shooting, 41.7% from beyond the arc in those 16 games. But the most important aspect of this run since the All-Star break, Clippers are fifth in defensive efficiency, giving up just 108.4 points every 100 possessions. And I will take you back. A couple of months ago, if you remember, I wrote a really big piece, and, and this had been a topic of conversation around the All-Star break, 
that the Clippers, to a certain extent, you can make the argument, were somewhat unlucky with their defensive issues, right? We talked about this in the same vein along with the New York Knicks that the Knicks were being lucky. But to reiterate for those who don't remember, right at the All-Star break, the Clippers were a top three team in terms of frequency of opponent attempts that were considered very tight or tightly contested defender within zero to two feet of the shooter. And yet, they were bottom of the league. I think they were a third last in terms of opponent shooting on those attempts. So simply put, they were getting to those spots, but their opponents were still making those shots. And there was a small case to be made that, hey, you know what? Being 19th, 20th in defensive efficiency, there's still some issues there. But maybe they're just not as bad as we think they are because according to NBA tracking data, they're getting to the spots. They're tightly contesting some of these shots. And sure enough, here in the second half, their defense has looked absolutely spectacular. And so I think you really have to like that from that perspective. And the wins, look, the Denver Nuggets win, or loss, I should say, was a really poor loss. You know, Denver came in. It was a really solid effort from Denver overall. Their offense was abhorrent in that game. And that was part of a three-game stretch where their offense had kind of disappeared, right? Before they lose to Denver, they lose to Orlando. The Clippers do 103 to 96. They give up that 17 to 3 run, but they average just 99 points every 100 possessions or an offensive rating of 99, should put it that way. They only their their offensive rating against the Lakers 109.2, offensive rating against the Denver Nuggets 106.8, but their offense for the most part has still been extremely good and those poor offensive showings kind of coincide with poor shooting nights, right? Against Orlando they shot 32.4%, against Denver they shot 29.4%. Little dependent on three-point shooting. But this team, like, that's their only blemish in this second half is that two-game stretch where they lose to Denver and Orlando. But for the most part, they have looked really solid, really solid. We're a long ways away from that blowout loss at the hand of the New Orleans Pelicans right after the break. Remember, they lost that 135-115. to 115. But this team has really turned things around the defensive end. And this is still with the injuries that they're dealing with. Serge Ibaka has been out of the lineup. Remember, 14 games he's now missed with a back injury. Doesn't really seem to be close to returning. Paul George has this worrisome toe injury. That sounds pretty bad. Like, really bad. And you wonder how much this is going to hamper him going forward. And he's, they're going to rest him on these second legs of back-to-backs. And luckily, the Clippers have one of the more e- like the easier schedules down the stretch. You know, fewer back-to-backs than any other team, more home games than any other team. Those types of things will actually help them going forward in terms of getting Paul George ready for the postseason. But it does stink that a team like this, it's all dependent on health yet again. And as we head toward the home stretch here, Patrick Beverly, Serge Ibaka, all of these guys, they're dealing with these injuries, and we got to keep that at the forefront here with the Los Angeles Clippers. So first headline of the day, Patrick Beverly out, recovering from hand surgery. Three to four weeks will be reevaluated. And then we get to Miami, Victor Oladipo. Not going to be available for Miami's upcoming road trip along the West Coast. We're recording this Friday, Saturday. So, you know, you will have, uh, by the time you listen to this, Miami will be well underway on their West Coast trip. But Olodipo hurt his knee fourth quarter. Miami's win over the Los Angeles Lakers on Thursday. The worrisome part about this injury, it's the right knee, the same one that Oladipo injured in 2019. Remember, he had that ruptured quad tendon, missed a full calendar year. He's only played in 52 regular season games since then. Hasn't really looked like the same guy. And that really stinks because Oladipo, in its short sample size, only been on the floor for four games for Miami, but he looked like he was starting to get better, right? Makes his debut against Golden State. Looks slow, looks uneasy, goes 0-4 from three-point range, 2-8 of from the floor overall, only scores six points. 
just looks really uneasy. He does have five assists, so he, you know the passing's there a little bit, but just didn't look the same. And in the second game, too, 29 minutes, still didn't perform that well. Scored eight points, shot 23% for the floor, or just went three of 13. Just didn't really look very good through the first two games. But their last two games, right, with him on the floor, he went six of 14 for 16 points, and they lost to Memphis. And then in the game he got injured, he was doing great. 18 points, five of eight shooting. He was two of three from three-point range. Like, each game, he slowly started to look a little bit better. And that's the part that sucks here for Oladipo is that you hope that this injury is not very serious, that he can come back maybe after missing this West Coast trip because he has started to look much more comfortable with Miami. And Miami has started to look a little bit more comfortable as a team. And they have started to show some life on offense. They're 5-1 straight up, 4-2 and two against the spread over their last six games. Shooting is still a little inconsistent, right? Over these six games that I'm talking about here, 35.3% on 33.5 three-point attempts per game. But last three games, Lakers, Grizzlies, Cavs, 37-95 of 95 or 38.9%. So it, this has been the thing with Miami. This is something that I have discussed constantly. Look, I have that Miami Heat ticket right at 15-1 to 1 to win the Eastern Conference. Miami, from a defensive standpoint, is still the same team from last year. Since the All-Star break, they're 7th in defensive efficiency. On the season, they're 6th in defensive efficiency. The defense has not fallen off in any way whatsoever. In fact, I think they're even better defensively this year than they were last year. But... Last year, the big difference, of course, top three three-point shooting team. This year, bottom 20s. That's got to change. If they have any shot at competing in the Eastern Conference, like I thought they were right before that 11-game win streak they went on, what, like a month ago now or so? The three-point shooting has to be there. Now, I think the positive with this offensive turnaround that we're talking about here with the Miami Heat, it's been that their rim shooting is kind of evened out. You know, this has been a top rim shooting team all season long. And yet, for some reason, for like a, a three-week stretch, all of a sudden they were getting to the rim, but they just weren't shooting the ball very well when they got to within four feet of the basket. 111.6, by the way, over these uh, last six games. Offensive rating for the Miami Heat. So, Oladipo, obviously, and from a big-picture perspective, they didn't give up a lot for Oladipo. This was the test run to see if, how he fit. You want to say you don't sign him. So, from that perspective, big-picture franchise-wise, you know, if, if this is something serious for Victor Oladipo, very coldly, the Miami Heat are in fine shape. But they, I think, obviously, they traded for him. They want him to be a massive piece of this team. And you just hope, just from a basketball fan perspective, we think back to that year with Indiana where he's fighting with LeBron James in the first round. It was great. He was so good. But injuries like this, man, and serious injuries like that to slow down a career really, really suck. So you really hope that he is going to be able to pull this one out. All right, we'll keep this intro short. For those who are wondering, I don't know how many of you are, there was a dark moment during the week for me. This isn't going to get crazy dark. But there was a dark moment for me earlier this week where I actually thought that I was ready to give up on James Harden to win MVP. And maybe some of you are listening right now thinking, this is it. This is when he finally admits that he's wrong. Nope. Still holding out hope, baby. We'll see what happens. Injury doesn't really help. And Nikola Jokic is definitely extending his lead. And Joel Embiid coming back has not helped. But I'm a stubborn man. Stubbornness sometimes is not a good quality, but at this time, I feel like it is. I refuse to back down. Refuse to back down. But I'll have more on James Harden throughout the week. Uh, For those who are interested, 
I'll have a couple of things coming out in Point Spread Weekly this week that I'm planning on working on. Uh, one of them, we'll talk a little bit about James Harden and a couple of other things as well, including some top betting storylines as we head into the home stretch of the NBA. With that, ER is going to join us on the other side. Please, one more time for those who are listening, if you could, uh, rate, review, and subscribe to the pod. We'll take positive, we'll take negative. Now, anything you like in terms of feedback, I love cri- uh, love criticism. It's the only way you get better if you criticize the work. So if you can, again, rate, review, subscribe, follow the uh, social media accounts as well. Send me a tweet, email to jonvon191 at yahoo.com. Any questions for the pod, anything like that, ER, coming up next. This is the Hardwood Handicappers Podcast, only on the VSIN Podcast Network. All right, let's continue on with the Hardwood Handicappers Podcast. Very special guest joining us now, Aaron Renning, makes his first appearance on the pod, uh, first appearance of the season. This is really the first time I've gotten to talk to you in a while, buddy, so we're well into it. Uh, how you been? Doing great. It's been uh, it's been one of my best seasons ever. Knock on wood. You never know when that's going to change, but uh, been a really good flow to the season. Um, you know, we didn't really maybe have that in the bubble last year, but teams playing back in their own arenas, and you know, there's always to me there's always kind of phases in the season how you handicap. Uh, you kind of have the first two months, three weeks of the season where you just kind of have a feeling out. You do your homework, your off season homework, and try to make money off that. Um, and then you have another phase and then you kind of get the all-star break, the trade deadline. And now, uh, kind of the final month of the season where you maybe get some teams tanking teams, uh, jockeying for their playoff position a little bit different this year with, you know, perhaps 10 teams with a chance to get into the playoffs with the play in, uh, round. And, and then of course, uh, the playoffs onto the other phase of the season, which I'm really looking forward to JVT. I think this will be. You know, it really sets up as the most competitive playoffs in recent memory where I, I think you could you could make a case for eight teams, you know, at least five to eight teams to perhaps win an NBA title. Yeah, I think there's four teams in the Western Conference that legitimately have a shot to win the NBA Finals. There's three in the East, and actually there's probably five in the Western Conference. I'm probably being unfair. Uh, but it does seem like the more uh, the one of the more even keeled seasons we've seen from a competitive standpoint. Let me ask you really quickly the theme of you know the the season and, and the different types of seasons, especially within the season. This home stretch, at least personally, how I handle it, ER is you know bet it like normal. But when I'm evaluating these teams, it's through the prism of okay, this is the type of team I'm going to see in the postseason. This is you know what what bothers Team A will bother them in the postseason from a matchup perspective, from a handicapping perspective. These are when these teams take on their final form, you know. Absolutely, um, it's it's good to kind of look at that and think of that and see how these matchups will, will play out. Um, I think you were perhaps on that. I know I was. You know, you could see how the Miami Heat were going to be able to match up with the Milwaukee Bucks last year in the playoffs, yep. uh, make some money uh, from that. So, yeah, uh, that's what you're doing. And, yeah, you kind of realize what teams are probably not putting their best foot forward, uh, i.e. the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, and a team uh, who's, who's trying to get into the playoffs, at least the playoff game, Chicago, uh, the trade deadline, where they've really kind of changed the style uh, how they are uh, going to play and, and look uh, to kind of close the season here. So let's start with that because you brought up Chicago. For those who are listening right now, by the way, uh, we are recording this on Friday, so Chicago is actually currently in action as we speak. They're up about two points over Atlanta. So Chicago is a really interesting team, ER. When they made the trade, 
my initial thought was find anything in terms of making the playoffs. So you can find yes at like two to one. And they got off to kind of a rough start once the trade deadline passed, but they've started the round into form. I think as of today, what is it? They covered four or five consecutive games. Uh, they're starting to win games with Nikola Vucevic in the lineup. I've kind of circled them as obviously not so much a competitive team in the Eastern Conference, but a team that I find myself wanting to play on more often than not as we head into the home stretch. So what's your evaluation of Chicago post-trade deadline? You know, the, well, I mean, you just you look at their season as a whole. It's it's very interesting because they had, you know brought in the whole new regime as far as general manager management. Uh, a new coach. Remember, they got absolutely destroyed uh, their first couple of games, uh, including against the Atlanta Hawks. And then, um, you know, kind of sunk in where they, you know, they, they, they're they better than, you know, the games and they kind of created some value. They went on a pretty good uh, against the spread run. And then they kind of started to, tr- uh, to put in more of these veterans, guys like Thad Young, uh, Garrett Temple, uh, I think to the betterment of the team. And I think they saw that and they said, well, you know, let's go with the trade deadline. Let's bring in some more veterans, which they did in Vukovic and Thais. Now, is that the best thing to do as far as winning an NBA championship for the Chicago Bulls? Probably not. But you could clearly see that they're going to play for this season, play for next year, uh, try to keep this core together. And knowing that, you could see that the, you know, certainly was going to be win now uh, for this team. So, uh, it's very fascinating what they're doing. They're going to probably play, uh, obviously, a little bit more in the half court, try to play through Vukovic a little bit more. Uh, and how this team, you know, the Levine, Vukovic, uh, the Levine, Thice pick and roll uh, can be pretty dangerous. And it's, it, you know, they've kind of talked about it, how, you know, every team is essentially shooting three pointers, um, and which is the, you know, in vogue of the NBA, which seems to be the thing that you should do. Bulls kind of went the other way with that and said, hey, mm-hmm. we're going to take care of the ball. We're going to kind of pound the ball inside, uh, try to play a little bit better defense and again, kind of play with these veteran type of guys. Uh, and it's really worked out for this team. And, and again, it kind of set up value because after the trade trade deadline, uh, they were out on the West Coast, had some tough matchups against Phoenix, Utah. Uh, but yeah, this team has really brought it together. Wins against Brooklyn, Indiana, uh, and Toronto. Now a little bit undermanned some of those teams, including Atlanta tonight. So, uh, but yeah, the Bulls are, are a very intriguing team right now. Yeah, five and zero against the spread in their last five games. Again, heading into their Friday matchup with the Atlanta Hawks, they've won three straight. You know, one of the things that I think I got wrong. I initially thought when they traded for Vucevic, they were going to be a higher scoring team. Not so much tempo, but the fact that Vucevic doesn't really offer that much from a defensive standpoint, maybe regress from that, you know, from that perspective, but get better offensively. But these games have been going under the total for them. We'll see what happens here tonight on Friday. But this has been a, to your point, a half court oriented attack the rim, a little bit slower paced team than I thought when they got Vucevic. No, I mean, it's a good point. I, I did the same thing. You know, you just obviously you you account for Vucevic. You have to increase their offensive efficiency from that standpoint. But, you know, the pace has slowed down a little bit. And again, you know, with a team that's trying to fight and get into playoff position here, you're just going to have a little bit more of a half-court style of type of basketball that they're going to play. And, you know, they've been very upfront with it, and the coaches have talked about it, uh, that they are, you know, Billy Donovan has said, you know, this is a, certainly a different team that you've seen uh, through the first half of the season. Now, how it all plays out and into the, I, I guess, next month uh, five, or five weeks of the regular season. So it's fascinating. I always like change. Change is good. Change is what you can make money from. Yep. So let's go to another team in the Eastern Conference. You mentioned them in passing. The Milwaukee Bucks. 
So the Giannis Antetokounmpo pops up with this sore knee uh, all of a sudden, causes him to miss three games. I don't think there's any question how we'll call them how bad they are defensively. Er, without uh, without Milwaukee or excuse me, without Giannis on the floor, Our defensive rating goes from like 107 to 120 in the non-Giannis minutes. You've seen it over these three games without Giannis Antetokounmpo, according to NBA's data. Last three games, defensive rating 120.4. So your overall thoughts, I'll put it this way. The way to handle Milwaukee in these games without Giannis, we don't know how much longer he's going to be out, uh, but they still seem to be a little overvalued from a certain perspective. When you look at the numbers that have been on some of these games without Giannis Antetokounmpo, you know, two and a half against Dallas, they lose that game by 15. Uh, They lay two and a half against Golden State, they lose that game outright. The Sacramento game, they're laying three there. They win, but they lose, or excuse me, win by one point. Uh, it seems to be that Milwaukee without Giannis slightly overvalued by the betting market. You know, this is a team that's been a juggernaut in the regular season. The, the past couple of years, they've had great depth. Uh, even when they have, have sat Giannis out, uh, they hadn't missed a beat to a certain degree. Um, and this year, 32-19 and 19 straight up. However, 22-29 and 29 against the spread. And again, this is a team... Uh, that has dominated the regular season, disappointed in the playoffs, you could pretty quickly see almost since day one that the mantra for this team was going to be, we don't care about the regular season this year, which, again, was going to create opportunities, 22 and 29 against the spread, bets like Charlotte plus nine uh, tonight, which I have, JVT, which uh, I'm pretty – uh, whatever happens in tonight's game, but they don't care about the regular season. They made it plain to see that if this was the playoffs right now, I believe Giannis would be uh, out there playing tonight, but that's not the case. Uh, they sat some of these other guys, and with that, uh, this team doesn't have, to me, near the depth that they've had in recent seasons. Uh, you have a, a much bigger drop-off uh, for the Milwaukee Bucks this year, uh, to me, with you know guys seven, eight, nine, ten that you've had in recent seasons, perhaps it helps them in the playoffs. I think it will. I, I think a lot of te- you know, I, I think a lot of people are quick to uh, disre- disregard this team uh, into the playoffs. But uh, they and and one thing you have to understand as well, they have tried to adjust some of their defensive principles here uh, in the regular season. Uh, you know, guarding the high pick and roll, et cetera. They're still uh, giving up a lot of three pointers, and it's interesting to see how it's all going to play out. But uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I think they're doing probably the right thing this regular season. I think when you get in the playoffs, adding a player like Drew Holiday is certainly an upgrade from Bledsoe and what they've had in recent seasons. So I'm certainly not going to close the door on them. Uh, here uh, to get into the postseason and, and make some sort of a, a statement. I am kind of closing the door and look to be a bet against team here in the regular season. Yeah. You say, and here's my thing with Milwaukee art, like, because I, I don't want to close the door on them either. I think from a matchup perspective, I, I think they kind of match up uh, pretty interestingly with Brooklyn, right? You know, they have three guys who can kind of switch and play amongst the big three that they have from a defensive standpoint in Middleton, Holiday, and Giannis. My thing is, like, and you mentioned the defensive things that they're trying to experiment with, right? You know, uh, chronically under Bud, Milwaukee, uh, not a team that switches a lot, which is why they allow a lot of three-point shots. But at the same time, like, at what point is trying things out going to show something? Because you mentioned mm-hmm. the, the perimeter numbers. Give up the 25th most three-point attempts of any team in the league, 26th in opponent three-point shooting, 29th in opponent corner three-point shooting. Like, we, we can talk about experiments all we want, but at some <laughs> point you've been a bad perimeter defense for multiple years now, and the numbers are telling us again that you're a poor perimeter defense. That's absolutely true. And, yeah, I mean, how much, uh, you know, how much – 
improvement are you going to show? And that's yeah. what makes it into the postseason because you do look at the matchups, whether it's Brooklyn, Miami, uh, perhaps Boston in there, they would probably present some sort of a, a tough matchup. And, you know, that's just it because obviously you envision any, you know, pretty much any of these teams in the Eastern Conference matching up against Brooklyn, certainly the Milwaukee Bucks. And, you know, it just comes down to the last five minutes of the game. Brooklyn's going to be able to probably score pretty easy or at least create their own shot in a team like the Milwaukee Bucks. You know, Giannis, they uh, <laughs> doesn't exactly maybe want the ball in cr- uh, crunch time, doesn't know what to do with the ball in crunch time. But I think Holiday helps from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm not sure if it's enough to get this team over the top. Yep. All right. <clears throat> a couple more Eastern Conference teams to throw at you before we uh, move on to some of the bigger topics in the Western conference uh boston celtics 26 and 26 right now playing the minnesota timberwolves uh, just took the lead from minnesota so 528 left to go in the fourth quarter i don't know why i'm reading off the score because this is a podcast regardless playing minnesota right now uh so your thoughts on boston because uh, there's there's times where i have conversations with people it's like well what's wrong with boston how are they going to turn things around and my answer is kind of been the same thing you know like i have an under on their win total for a reason i bet against them pretty frequently throughout the season it is an overvalued team that has a flawed roster construction no size up front and inexperienced I shouldn't say inexperienced an inefficient offense uh, that all of a sudden has lost all will to move the ball around I just really don't like this Boston team now I think they're a pain in the ass for a team like Milwaukee because they're mm-hmm. so perimeter oriented but outside of like Milwaukee I don't find many avenues for them to make it to an Eastern Conference Finals yeah, I, I mean, they, they just seem to be a, certainly a step below Brooklyn, Philadelphia, Milwaukee, probably Miami uh, as well. I, I think it's kind of amazing uh, that, you know, the Celtics are 26 and 26 straight up, still 24 and 28 against the spread, because it seems like they've been much worse than that. Yeah. Uh, there seems to be something off, perhaps, in the locker room. They've had a couple of team meetings, uh, like you say, the individual play that they've had. And, you know, and then at the trade deadline, you know, to get rid of a guy like Thice, which, you know, let's be honest, we all know that, you know, protecting the rim and inside resistance for Boston is, is kind of the crucial issue for this team when they're matched up against Milwaukee or Philadelphia. And then to trade away any kind of servable size. And you saw that when they played Philadelphia last week and B just did whatever they wanted. Philadelphia did whatever they wanted. Boston essentially had no other answers except to insert Taco Fall into the lineup. So, uh, again, it, it just seems to be, you know, kind of a organization right now that doesn't really understand their sense of direction or the moves that they're going to have to make. Obviously, you know, for this team to obtain Kemba Walker, you know, there's they've had all these rumors of these guys that they were going to go out and get, whether it's Anthony Davis, you name it, and they just haven't been able to spring that deal to get them over the top and they've just kind of been treading water uh that just not enough to get you know even to a, a, a you know to come out of the eastern conference here and yep. it doesn't look like that's going to happen again this year no nope. all right so brooklyn philadelphia you and i i, I uh, we talked like i think like two months ago uh we were talking it was actually right before the all-star break i was on with humans and you uh, on my guys and uh, we were talking about philadelphia they were taking on the Jazz in that game that they eventually won in overtime, some ridiculous officiating shenanigans at the end. Uh, but you and I were kind of discussing Philly as a whole and their power rating and what you feel like them as a team and where they, they stack up in the Eastern Conference. And if I remember correctly, at that time, uh, you were a little lukewarm on Philly. Since then, they lost Joel Embiid. They go 7-3 and three in the 10 games without him, lead the league in defensive rating in those 10 games without him. You mentioned they beat the crap out of Boston the other night and you know Joel Embiid is back. 
Uh, your thoughts on Philadelphia and their pecking order in terms of Brooklyn, Philly, Milwaukee, where you put them in the East? You know, I, I don't really have a firm answer on this Philadelphia team. Uh, you know, obviously, if you go by what you've seen in the regular season and the play of Embiid, you know, MVP caliber, uh, they can dominate uh, at times. You know, when push comes to shove, we've seen t- uh, Doc Rivers teams fail in the playoffs before. This team has to take a punch or two. How are they going to react? Uh, but, you, you know, at least what they've shown in the regular season, you have to put them uh, to me is a 1A, 1B, 1C, whatever it is in the Eastern Conference. And you have to leave the door open uh, for this team because they seem, you know, much, you know, in a much better place right mm-hmm. now than they've been in recent years. I think the addition of George Hill uh, can eventually help this team very much uh, with that second team uh, defensively. I mean, this looks to be probably the best team in the Eastern Conference. They are very uh, long uh, with what they do, guys like Thibel, stuff like that. So they probably talking about the best defensive team out of these playoffs teams uh, in the Eastern Conference. So uh, they're going to be right there. Yeah, I like I, I like them defensively, offensively. I would agree with the assessment. We'll see what happens in George Hill. If he ever plays, by the way, they acquired him. Yeah. We have yet to see him. So we'll see if he's going to be fully healthy. All right. Really quickly, last Eastern Conference team. I find Brooklyn fascinating for multiple reasons. One, I you know I had my James Harden for MVP campaign, which I'm still in, by the way. Um, but the other is er, you know, I was talking about this the other day, actually on this podcast, where it was like this is a team that I think that at least the first time that I can remember a really long time that has been so incomplete throughout the entire year and yet continues to be power rated as high as they are in the futures market on a night-to-night basis. And for the most part, they continue to deliver. They've hit a little bit of a slump against the stretch, or excuse me, against the spread because they've been so beat up lately. But I just find it fascinating that we really just don't know that much about Brooklyn yet. I think we we can project what it's going to be, and it's going to be really nice. But to talk about prices under $2 to win the Eastern Conference and around 250 to win the title, it's 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 crazy to me. It, it is to me. I, I thought you were a little bit more. Uh, you like this team a little bit more, and we're, we're kind of well, on the bandwagon, right? Well, yeah. It. Let me be clear. Like I, I like them a lot, and what they project to be, I think they are. Like to me, they are the highest rated team when they're complete. I just find it more fascinating that I, I feel that confident in them, and the market feels that confident in them. Yeah. Even though we've only seen like what five games of them all together. I guess that's where I'm at. Yeah. If you look at the price of this team to win the Eastern Conference, I, I just, I'll, I'll be looking to, to beat them. Uh, at this point and you know basically the two things uh, that you know I have issues with with Brooklyn is and you touched on it you know they just haven't played together enough and it doesn't look like they're going to be able to play together that much what have they been together seven games yeah. so far this season I, I just I don't remember an instance where an NBA title team was essentially just put together and they just threw it all together essentially in the playoffs and they were able to go gate to wire and kind of dominate and and win because, you know, again, they're going to have to take a punch or two. You're going to have to see how this team reacts. And, you know, with guys like Kyrie, Harden, Durant, you know, kind of on and on, you just don't know how they're going to react. And and defensively, obviously, they're always going to have some flaws. Now, they've, they've tried to make amends, and they're probably capable – you know, certainly athletically, some of the guys that they put on this roster uh, to be at least an average defense. Now, again, 
how does it all come together? Can they cover for one another? Can they play that type of team defense uh, to win an NBA title? That remains to be seen. So that's really just the the big issue uh, that I have for this team. Now, uh, again, if they can get healthy, play a few games together, I think it will help that you're probably going to get you know, a first round opposition of, you know, Chicago, Indiana, New York, whoever it might be. So you can kind of gain some momentum that way because uh, they're going to need it. Uh, they are going to need it here. And then, who you know, who's going to beat them in the Eastern Conference? It's not like I can say, well, you know, Milwaukee or Philadelphia or Miami. You know, you don't feel that strong about those teams to say they're better than Brooklyn. Yep. So really quickly, this kind of popped into my head randomly. So. Indiana gets a win today over Orlando, 111 to 106. There have been a few teams that I've been really, like I've circled as, like I just don't understand the market's infatuation with this team, right? Just from the power rating perspective, consistently overvalued. Indiana has been one of those teams, ER. Like I just don't really understand. The market seems to value them so much, but on the, you know, on the year, they're covering about a 39% clip, which is you know a little reflective of how high the market is on them from a night-to-night basis. They're still, by the way, right now at some shops, over $2 to make the playoffs. Like the yes, like minus 220, somewhere in that range. I just don't understand it. Like you talk about teams that you want to beat, and I know this is kind of a, I guess, like a hardcore inside topic, but, you know, it's sports betting. It's the NBA. I know you follow the whole thing. Like Indiana, have you had the same assessment when you would watch them on a night-to-night basis from the numbers they're laying, the power rating, everything? You know, I, 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 I left the door open, and I tried to bet this Indiana team to start the season. Um, because I, I like the coaching change, uh, for them. I thought that was going to be positive. Uh, but you're right. You know, the consistency kind of lacks on this team. You know, they just don't have, you know, you look at uh, essentially all the really good teams, um, in the NBA to me, they just don't have that kind of superstar, uh, even that next tier guys. I mean, Brogdon's a nice player. Sabonis is, is, is decent, uh, Turner is, is a nice player, but I mean, are these top 30 guys in the NBA? Uh, probably not. So they can be a, a good regular season. You get back into the playoffs. Uh, it's still, uh, they're just kind of lacking on that end. And perhaps I'm wrong. I mean, I think getting rid of Oladipo was certainly the right thing for this team to do. Uh, I think he's a tough guy to kind of play with and probably an overvalued player with that point. I I'm kind of, you know, waiting to see if Levert can really add anything to this team. You know, he's had his moments, but, you know, there hasn't been really anything kind of consistent. So, you know, it's a team that you probably don't really want to, you're not happy to face in the playoffs, but uh, it just doesn't seem like, you know, they're capable of a first-round upset here. All right, Western Conference, fun things, best teams. Let's start with Phoenix. Lose to Los Angeles last night, really a tough game. Fourth quarter kind of looked like a team playing the second leg of a back-to-back against a divisional opponent. Uh, So let me ask you this. You know, Phoenix has been a team that, like, my thoughts on the Suns are kind of reflective of the market. That's cool. Great team. Game and a half out of the first, you know, out of the, the first overall seed. And yet, if you were to tell me, like, rank the teams in order of, you know, probability that they'll make it out of the Western Conference, I still think I'd have them, like, fourth or fifth out of the big five. Oh, absolutely. I, yeah. I mean, I, I just cannot put this team with the Clippers, the Lakers, Utah, and Denver. Um, and you know, look, they've been great 36 and 15. I finally won a bet against betting against this team last night with the Clippers, but, but 33 at 18 against the spread. I mean, if you look at Chris Paul, the last couple of, uh, years here, I mean, just unbelievable, uh, against the spread, what he's been able to do. And, you know, they've been, 
you know, kind of another team that's very, you know, valued very, very high. Because um, I've, I've, there's been so many times where I've wanted to bet the Phoenix Suns, and I'm just like, well, I just can't lay eight on the road with this team, and it hasn't mattered. You know, they won and covered a lot of those games, and I, I like Phoenix. Um, I, I thought Aiton has really um, come on, and and you know he's really shown a lot better flashes than he's had in recent season seasons. Certainly a difference maker, but you know he still uh, has those moments where you know you just don't notice him on the basketball court whatsoever. You know Booker is still kind of a one way player. Uh, saw him really struggle at times. Certainly they you know they and he didn't really play that well down the stretch against Utah. They were still able uh, to win. Uh, that game but you know again if you're talking about the true superstars and difference makers in the NBA I don't think Booker is of that caliber Um, Chris Paul has his limits as well so I I just don't think this is a team that can get to that level uh, of those four other teams we mentioned now again yeah do you want to play them in the first round second round they're they're a team that can beat the Lakers they can beat Denver the Clippers in in you know in a in a series, but are they going to beat those teams for two or three series? Right. Yeah. We're going to beat them all the way up to the Western conference finals, potentially the NBA finals. So the team I'm starting to come around on, and I don't know how you couldn't, I love what the Denver Nuggets did at the trade deadline. Like really liked it. I thought Aaron Gordon was the perfect fit, addressed some of the weaknesses this team has. And now it has really started to click undefeated since they lost or excuse me, since they acquired Aaron Gordon. Uh, right now they're up on San Antonio, 54 to 44. As we talk again on a Friday night with ER, uh, I like this Denver team. I have come more around on their opportunity to win the Western Conference. What has been your evaluation of Denver since the trade deadline? I agree. We're on the same page. I mean, yeah. you 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 just kind of have to. Um, I mean, it's it's interesting because Aaron Gord, obviously, um, <laughs> not sure what the right, the precise word to use, but a little bit suffocated in Orlando. Not really a chance to blossom uh, in the system or with the players he's he's playing with. And, you know, the Joker, Jokic, just has opened up a lot for him. And you can already see the chemistry as far as Aaron Gordon cutting to the basket uh, and Jokic finding him. I mean, that that fires up a player when they know that they're going to work hard and cut to the basket and you know that they're going to get the basketball. So, and, you know, defensively, obviously, Aaron Gordon, that's what they brought him in to do. You know, defend LeBron James, defend Kawhi Leonard. Uh, difference maker uh, on that end with you know his athleticism and it's a team that goes very deep not that that matters in the playoffs but they have a lot of different combinations uh, to go to and you know Michael Porter someone that I was extremely hard on from a defensive standpoint you know his raw athletic tools you know he's he's actually a very capable defender Jamal Murray has improved from a defensive uh, perspective so uh, I again, it's kind of the one A, one B, one C, one D for me in the in the Western Conference, yep. and Denver's kind of sneaks in there right now as the one D. Yep, and it's crazy too because as their power rating improves, but they still continue to actually deliver. You know, what six and a half point favorite the other day against San Antonio or five because I think Jamal Murray got ruled out. Uh, but eleven and a half against Detroit, they cover that one handily. Beat the Clippers at the beginning of April. Uh, they have been playing extremely well since Aaron Gordon's come around, and actually uh, since Aaron Gordon's got there, I think seventh in defensive efficiency for the Denver Nuggets. All right, a couple more teams to get through, and then we'll get you out of here. Uh, first off, let's talk about those Clippers. You mentioned, you know, the playing against the Phoenix Suns. So quietly, ER since the All Star break, fifth best defensive team in the NBA, the Clippers. We know that they're the best shooting team in the in the league. This is a team that they're they're starting to kind of show what we've been waiting 
looking for. And the thing has been, you know, right, they haven't been healthy. Like if Serge Ibaka hasn't been in the lineup, so it's bigger. That would help them out from a defensive standpoint even more. Uh, do you believe, like I do, that potentially over these last 15 games we're actually kind of starting to see what the Clippers actually are? Uh <laughs> I, I think so. I've been waiting for them to turn it on defensively uh, all season long. I mean, yep. remember I sent you that text how many months ago? Two months. Yeah. Why Why are the Clippers so bad defensively? They've improved, but they're still not, I think, what they're capable from from a defensive standpoint. Now, they get bad news. Uh, Patrick Beverly, who they just can't seem to get right, is going to be out for the next month with a broken hand. You would like to see him you know, get some reps uh, with this team and really this team kind of come together as a whole. I, I would say... Uh, my one big issue with this team is somewhat their toughness, somewhat that inside toughness, mm -hmm. because when I've watched them play the better teams, they have not had that inside resistance that, you know, perhaps you need to beat uh, an L.A. Lakers, perhaps to beat uh, a Denver, perhaps to beat a Utah Jazz as well. So um you, you want to see some more things i still hold this team in high regard but you have to remember what happened last year i mean i'm not so sure that they have a huge upgrade from a coaching perspective with this team but um you know demarcus cousins i'm not sure what he could maybe add maybe he can be a little bit of a difference maker with how he defends he is a capable defender uh he's certainly about five steps slow when he was playing with yep. the houston rockets so um you know i i, I wouldn't say the, the sky is the limit. They still have some holes, uh, but certainly a very capable team to come out of the Western Conference. So Aaron, for those who are listening and didn't know, Aaron was um, the person who called the shot. And our NBA guy this year, before the season started, Jazz were your number one overall seed. Uh, what have you thought of them up to this point? You've clearly thought they were going to have a good regular season uh, from a power rating perspective and from competition in the Western Conference. Where are you at with them? Because I just feel like the one thing they miss ER they don't really have, from a personnel standpoint, any to match anybody to match up with these wing players, right? Like a LeBron, um, like a Kawhi Leonard, uh, potentially even like an Aaron Gordon. That's the thing that kind of bothers me about Utah uh, from a matchup and personnel standpoint. But what have you made of them? I mean, they've been my top power-rated team pretty much all season long. I mean, they've had to be. I mean, this is a team that's, what, top five offense and defense? I'm not sure if any other team can say that. And, you know, as you mentioned, kind of that wing defense – um, but they also have Rudy Gobert in the middle who can shut off the lane to the Lakers. He can shut off uh, the lane to, you know, some of these other teams as well, shut off the basket. So um, it, it's funny because I see, like, Utah is just a very unique team as far as a lot of these other NBA teams to me just because they have Gobert. Yeah. And, you know, their ability to defend the rim, a lot of these teams just are not able to do that. So, um, yeah, but how are they going to be able to um, kind of defend uh, the perimeter players? Like you say, uh, Denver goes out and gets Aaron Gordon, uh, kind of the Kawhi stopper, maybe the LeBron stopper, or at least I wouldn't. I guess st stopper is probably the wrong word, but <laughs> so uh, a capable to, body to throw. In yeah, front to at least players. slow those type of players down. Uh, but you know, you you have to you have to account for this team. You have to throw them in the conversation. And it's always been this way, um, you know, in, in both conferences because you've always had these kind of prohibitive favorites um, going back 10, 15 years. And you see a team like the Utah Jazz have a great regular season, but you know in the playoffs you just couldn't really take them that serious. But, it, but it's a little bit different because the best teams are not 
at, at that dominating level like the Golden States from previous years, and Utah is a little bit better. So they're right there. Aaron Renning again. Follow him on Twitter at ER Sports One. Uh, Aaron, <clears throat> I always appreciate you joining me, dude. Thank you very much for the time. You mentioned the Lakers. We got to take a stand against the Lakers, don't we? I mean, they well, had the easy easiest path last year to get to an NBA title. They essentially dominated teams at the rim. Will they be able to get to that level? Well, so okay, this is good. I didn't want to take up too much of your time, but I'm glad you brought this up. So I do want to talk to you about this. So there's a couple of things that kind of bother me about the Los Angeles Lakers. First off, it's the shooting, right? Like last year in the bubble, they got away with it because the shooting backgrounds, it helped every single team shoot relatively well. There's no way that they can get away with shooting like 34% as a team, right? I agree. I, I mean, again, I just feel like you have to take a stand against this team. And a yeah. little bit like Brooklyn, I, I just can't buy the Lakers kind of being the favorite uh, in the Western Conference. You know, when you, you throw a blanket over those top four teams in the Western Conference, the Lakers are probably going to be the favorite. So you have to try to find uh, one of those teams to beat them. Which one of those teams it is, I'm not uh, quite exactly sure. But, you know, adding Ben McLemore just shows you how desperate this team is to try to find some shooting. Now, uh, and then, yeah, the injuries. You know, it's a team that just hasn't been able to um, hit that certain level. Uh, they were all out into October last year. And, you know, to me, they just had a rather easy, easy path uh, to get to the finals and really win the finals. So uh, certainly uh, not sold on this team. And you have to look to, to try to bet against them, although uh, it probably cost me a little bit of money last year. Yeah, well, and this year, too, this, this version of the Lakers without AD and LeBron, uh, they, I, I would have to say this. I think Frank Vogel deserves a little bit of credit since mm-hmm. they've lost LeBron. They've actually been like one of the best defensive teams in the NBA. They have and, been. And they've been on an insane run to the under since they've lost LeBron because their offense sucks and their defense has been great. <laughs> right. It, it's, it's uh, yeah, I mean, that's obviously very well put. It, it, of course, makes sense. But, yeah, you would expect their defense to regress, and it, and it just hasn't so far. All right, ER. I appreciate right. the time today, man. Thank you very much. I can't wait to uh, catch up with you to, and uh, be talking uh, some NBA playoffs here in five, six weeks. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great conversation. Thank you. 